So this is our part two of our Victoria series, and our Victoria series is based on this one scripture. And it says this in 1 John 5, 4. I love this scripture. It says, you see, every child of God overcomes the world. For our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. Let me, let me say that again for you. It says, you see every child of God. Is there any child of God's in the building this morning? If you've given your life to Jesus, you're a child of God. Listen to this. Every child of God, not some, not maybe, not the guy on the, up the front, not the people that are serving in the worship team, every child of God, what overcomes what the world. And it's not talking about people, it's talking about uh, uh, thought processes, belief systems of the world. Yeah, Every child of God overcomes the world for our faith is the what? It's the victorious power. Victorious power, not a, not a, oh, hopefully, cross my fingers, touch wood kind of power. Are you with me? Yeah. It's not that kind of power. It's the victorious power that what? That triumphs. Triumph. It's not just like, phew, we just won. You know, it's not like, it's not like the hurricanes who just won by two points. It's not like, whew, we got across the line, we hung in there, and we finally won. No, no, to triumph means this. It's the same word that was used when it says that Jesus walked through hell, dragging the devil through, making a spectacle of him, triumphing over him. It's not a, it's not a uh, we just won. It's, a, it's like we abolished him. We destroyed the opposition. Like, it wasn't like... 34 to 32, it was like 150,000 to zero. It's that kind of triumphant over the world. And if you're a child of God, then the Bible says that you're an overcomer. And you're like, man, I don't really feel like an overcomer. That's because we're going to help you this morning start to think like an overcomer because the Bible promises this, that every child of God overcomes. That means that if we know him, we are a overcomer. You have a God ability to overcome. You are not under your circumstance. You live over your circumstance. God has given each and every one of us a way to overcome. Why? Because the Christian life is always moving forward. We should always be moving forward. We should never be shrinking back. We should never be stagnant. But we should always be moving forward. Why? Because it's an overcoming kind of spirit. It's this, it's this aggressive, taking ground, stepping out, believing for God to do something. It's not this passive, oh, well, I'll just endure this season. Because if you're going to endure something, it's just a passive way of you going, I'll just wait and hopefully I'll get out the other side. No, 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 no. The Bible says that we have the kind of victorious faith that triumphs which means that we are pushing forward, that we are aggressive. And people don't like talking about that when it comes to the Christian world. I'm not talking about being physically aggressive. I'm talking about being spiritually aggressive, that we're always pushing forward, that we're always taking ground. That's not a passive way to live. It's an aggressive way to live. We're not meant to sit back and watch life go by. We're meant to take it by the scruff of the neck because you will either... Make things happen in your world, or you will let things happen in your world. I can remember a great friend of mine, Pastor Jürgen Matisse, so I remember driving him around once, and I would have been, I don't know, 32 at the time, and uh, it was before I was pastoring here, and, and I said to him, one day, one day I'll get my, my chance, and I'll be able to pastor a church. 
And he said this to me, and I'll never forget it because I didn't like him very much when he said it. He says, Craig, if you're waiting for it to happen, it'll never happen. You need to go out and make it happen. Now, he wasn't meaning to go out and force something to happen. His meaning is take some steps of faith and really pursue it. Because while I'm waiting, it's not going to turn up on my doorstep. Come on. Yeah. While I'm waiting, it's not going to turn up on my doorstep. I've got to go after these things. We're destined and commissioned by God to overcome. Because that's what the scripture says. That every child of God overcomes. He has given us actually the faith to do this. It says that each and every one of us, it says that in Romans 12, 3, that each and every one of us has been given a measure of faith. And what we, what we think when it comes to our life sometimes is we think that we need more faith, yeah? If I just had more faith, this would happen. If I just had more faith, that would happen. But what the Bible teaches us is to each of us has been given a measure of faith. And what that literally means is this, is that God has given you all the faith you need to live this life. You don't need more faith. What you need to do is use the faith that you already have. So what, what I found in my life, I'm sure it's not happened in your life because you guys are awesome. I'm the one that's no good. Is that I have failed to step out and trust God in certain areas of my life because I think I need more faith. And God says, I've already given you the faith that you need for this. You see, he's not going to call you to do something that he hasn't equipped you for. Are you with me this morning? You're really quiet. And so it's not that I need more faith. I just need to work the faith that I already have. As some of you know, I have started going to the gym again and being tortured by a personal trainer known as my sister-in-law, whose name will remain nameless for you know, privacy reasons, and because I don't like her very much at the moment. But I don't go to the gym and do a workout, and then you, you, you wouldn't want to see this anyway. I don't then stand in front of the mirror and go, look at all these new muscles. After a half-hour workout, look at, these, look at these new muscles. You see, I, you don't get new muscles when you work out at the gym, you're working out muscles you already have. It's just because you've never worked them that you don't see them. Under this incredible physique is a six-pack. The six-pack is not missing. It just hasn't been worked. Are you with me? The, these arms here, these guns, you can't see the definition. It's not because the muscle isn't there. It's because the muscle hasn't been worked, so therefore there's no definition. It's not that you don't have enough faith. It's you already have the faith that you need. It's just that you haven't worked it, and so therefore you can't see a definition of that faith in your life because you haven't worked it because you keep on thinking that I need new faith or new muscles. You've actually got all the faith that you need that God has given to you from the moment you were conceived. God put a measure of faith in you for the giftings and the callings and the destiny that God has for you, that you don't need new faith, you need to work the faith that you have. Are you with me this morning? 
says this in 2 Corinthians 4.13. It says, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, we talked about this last week, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. And so we discovered last week that faith is actually this. It's believing and then speaking what you believe. That faith is believing and speaking. That our speaking should be driven by our believing. That's why name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, or whatever it is, all these different hypo faith things don't work because if you don't believe it, the word has no power to it. Are you with me? You can't speak your way into belief. You've got to believe and then speak. Yeah? Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the more you speak the word over your life, the more your belief is going to start to happen on the inside of you. But the reality is, is that faith is believing and it's speaking. And believing is actually all about making a choice to believe. And what God is trying to teach us is that he just wants us to believe about ourselves what he believes about us. That we would believe what he says about us, and then we would speak that. That we would speak what he says about us, not what we say about us, or not what our teacher said about us, or not what that ex-partner said about us, or not what that mongrel boss said about us, but actually what does God say about us? And you might be hearing, well, you know, I I just can't do that. I, I can't do that. Well, actually, yeah, you can. You can do that. You can speak about your life as Christ would speak about your life. The reason why we won't do it is because we struggle with how we see ourselves rather than believe what the Word says about us. The reason why we don't speak like that and we don't talk about ourselves the way that God talks about us is not because God's Word ain't true. It's not that that is that we don't believe that about ourselves. We struggle with our insecurities and we struggle with our issues and we struggle with all of our failings and our weaknesses and so therefore we we find it hard to believe what God says about us because we know all our failings. But can I say this? God knows all your failings too and he still speaks that over your life. And all he's asking us to do is to believe what he says about us rather than what we say about us and everything else says about us. When I was about, um, I must have been, I was at primary school, so I must have been, I don't know, about eight years of age. And my dad was at home sick, and I went to Rangikura Primary School in in Porirua. And, um, yeah, Porirua. And uh, where we lived was basically straight across the road from the school, And my dad was sick, and I must have been eight years of age, and I just really felt like I should go home during lunchtime and see my dad. And um, I wasn't meant to leave the school grounds, but, you know, I was a rebel with a cause. And so I left the school grounds, and I went home to see my dad, and I'm sitting there talking to him on the bed, and next minute my dad has a stroke right in front of my eyes. And it was a major stroke, and I'm ringing 111, but back in those days, you know, it was like, you know, by the time you rang 111, everyone was dead and the world was on fire. You know, it just took so long to ring it. And the ambulance came and they got my dad and 
They took him off the hospital, and you can imagine I'm, I'm pretty distraught at this stage. Um, I'm trying to get hold of my mum. Didn't have mobile phones back then, so mum was out doing the grocery shopping, so I couldn't get hold of her, and I didn't know whether I should go in the ambulance or stay at home, or what do I do? You know, imagine mum rocking up home, and the house is just empty. Dad's not anywhere to be seen. You know, his raptures happened. Mum got left behind. Um, and so I, I ended up going in the ambulance with Dad, and, and uh, police came around and sat at the house and waited for Mum to get home. And I remember being in the hospital, and, and I thought that my dad was going to die. I thought this was the end of it. And I remember the doctor coming in to talk to us as a family, and he comes in and he says this. He says, he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And the relief that came over me in that moment, as you can imagine, was just absolutely huge. And everybody that rang the house, because mum stayed at the hospital and us kids went home and, you know, the phone's ringing off the hook because my dad passed at a church and so all these people are ringing to see how he is. And I remember telling every single person that rang that I answered the phone for, the doctor said, the doctor said, the doctor said he's going to be okay. And isn't it amazing for us as human beings that we can believe the word of a person in a situation like that when everything about it looks impossible? Everything about what I saw of my dad was the opposite of what I believed was okay. But because the doctor said it was okay, I believed and therefore I told everyone that my dad is going to be okay. And you know what? He was okay. But the thing is, is that this challenges me, this story, when I think about it, because if I can believe what a man says about my life, why can't I believe what God says about my life? You see, there's a bunch of you here today that are going to go to work tomorrow. If you've got work tomorrow, put up your hand. Sorry to remind you, but you're going to work tomorrow. And you're going to work... Yes? Monday, Tuesday, and you're working away believing that come payday that you're going to get paid for the work you've done. I'm so glad that I get paid weekly now. I used to get paid monthly. Can you remember working a whole month? Oh, if you work monthly. I remember working a whole month waiting to be paid. It's like trusting that my boss is actually going to pay me after four weeks at work. You know, the thing is, is you're not going to go to work tomorrow wondering, am I going to get paid for this work I'm doing today? Should I turn up? Because I don't know whether they're going to pay me or not. You go and you work with absolute belief that come payday, you're going to be paid for the work that you've done, yes? You absolutely believe that you're going to get paid for the work that you've done. And the Bible says this, that, that we don't walk by sight but we walk by faith. And I hear people say this, well, I, I can't walk by faith. I can't live my life by faith. I can't have a faith thing. But yet you've been walking by faith on the word of a person all your working life, believing that you're going to get paid on the day that you're meant to get paid for the work that you've done. Come on. You, you've been living a life of faith your whole time. Believing when other people say that they're going to do this for you, that they're going to do it for you. Believing that when the kids say that they'll get the dishes done before they go to bed. Believing. 
that they're going to get the dishes done before you go to bed, only to find out in the morning your faith was just okay. We've been believing what others say about our lives or about our situation. For years, we've been living by faith on the words of people for years, and all God is saying is this. Would you, would you believe my words and live your life like my words are true like you do on the words of others? Would you do that? You see, it's not that I can't walk by faith, it's that you won't walk by faith. It's not that you can't walk by faith because to each and every one of us has been given a measure of faith. It's not that you can't walk by faith because you spent your whole entire life walking by faith, believing other people. It's not that you can't walk by faith, it's that you're choosing to not walk by faith. You see, you might be here saying, well, I just can't speak things like that over my life, Craig. Well, can I suggest to you that you've been speaking things over your life for years? Things like, all men in our family are drunks. All women in our family die of cancer. We all have depression. It needs to end in my family, but I don't know what to do. Why can't you start the end to all of that stuff in your family? Why can't you start today to build a legacy, a beginning of a new one? You see, we speak things over our lives all the time. I can't get that job. I can't do this. I can't do that. We actually speak things that we believe about ourselves over our lives all the time. It's, it's not that we don't have faith and it's not that we can't speak what God says about us over our lives. It's just that we won't. We won't. And all God is saying is that you, he said this, he says, you can overcome the world. All children of God overcome the world. Through our victorious faith, we triumph over the world. It's not that we can't, it's that we won't. Our faith is our believing and our speaking and our believing drives our speaking. And believing you will eat a steak at a restaurant is not enough if you don't tell the waiter that you want it. Come on. If you turn up to a restaurant and you're like, man, I can't wait to have that eye-fillet steak, 250 gram, or do we need to go 300? Can I get a 300, 300 gram eye-fillet steak? Do you want it wrapped in bacon or do you want it stuffed with scallops? Which one? Bacon and scallops, okay, stuffed with scallops. Do you want a red wine sauce or do you want something else? Red wine, right, we're going with that. And so do you want mashed potatoes or fries? Fries. Do you want salad or, or winter vegetables? All right, so you know how to order a steak when you go to a restaurant, yes? But if you sit there in the restaurant and the waiter comes over and says, what would you like to eat? And you go, oh. and the inside you're like, man. You're picturing the state, you've seen the photos in the menu, you've even searched it up online because it's like the first time you've been out in months because you have children and, um, and maybe your husband's a bit slack and doesn't think that he still needs to date you even though you're married. He doesn't realize that the thing that he did to get you is the thing that he needs to do to keep you. Uh, anyway, that's a whole other story. And, and so you know, you're just in shock and awe that you're in a restaurant without children. You're actually going to have a hot meal. 
It's not going to be cold by the time you eat it because the kids aren't distracting you. Can I get an understanding going on here? And, and, but if you just sit there and the waiter goes, what do you want? And you go, just smile at him. You're not going to get the steak, are you? You may believe that that's what you're going to eat, but until you say to him, I would like a steak, please, stuffed with scallops with a red wine sauce with mashed potatoes and a salad and a lemon, lime, and bitters because I'm a Christian and it's like a Christian alcohol. (laughs) You believe that's what you're going to eat, but you don't get to eat it until you speak it. Come on, are you with me this morning? You can believe whatever you want when it comes to the Christian world, but until you start to speak it, you're not going to get it. You can sit at home hoping, crossing your fingers, touching wood, that I heard on Sunday that Craig said this, but if you're not prepared to speak it, then you ain't going to receive it because our belief should drive our speaking. And so we have to see what you'll understand what you're believing by what you say, but also once you get this belief, I I believe that God is for me and not against me. I believe that greater is he that is in me than who is in the world. I believe that I am the head and not the tail. I believe, and you start to speak it. If you go silent, just processing this on the inside with a big smile on your face about how lovely that is, nothing's going to change because you've got to speak what you believe. And you say, well, I can't do that. But you've spoken what you believed about yourself your whole entire life. It says this in Hebrews 11.1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen or not seen. Faith is, believing and speaking is the substance of things hoped for. That word hope in that scripture means a positive expectation world around you wants you to have a negative expectation of your life, but faith drives us by a positive expectation. And you're like, oh, this is just like a motivational talk that you're doing, eh? It's like a, you know, positive, positive speaking, positive language, you know, speak positively and your life changes. No, no, no. That's how you get taught it in the world, but God takes it to a whole nother level because in Zechariah it says that we are prisoners of hope. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith has its substance, its, its, its hooks, if you want to put it that way, in hope. Faith is the substance. Our speaking and our believing is in the substance of the things that we hope for. And in Romans 15, 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In other words, what you were expecting out of your life, that hope that you have of what you believe that God is going to, that's what drives your believing and your speaking. Well, you might be hearing going, well, I aren't expecting much and, 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 and what I have is not much. But I would suggest to you that maybe some of the things that you don't have that you want to have is because you're not believing and speaking. There's, there, you've lost your hope. There's no substance to your faith. You're, you're believing and you're speaking and you're, and you're kind of like throwing things out there, hoping that it lands on something. You know, a little bit like when people are doing charades and you're like, it's a movie, it's a TV, and you're just yelling words out, hoping that somehow you're going to connect with what the person's trying to do. But faith isn't like that. It's not believing and speaking and then fingers crossed. No, it's it's 
believing and speaking on the substance of the things that you're hoping for, that positive expectation that you have, because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. In other words, what you believe is about what's going to happen. What, what you're hoping for, you'll produce after your own kind. You see, faith follows hope. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is great. God even calls it the blessed hope. See, our faith is connected to our hope. But hope doesn't really have a substance, does it? You know, it's a crazy thing about that. Scripture says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, but my hopes and my dreams don't have any substance. I can't physically, tangibly hold on to them. Yeah? I hope that one day I'll have amazing grandchildren. I can't physically grab them, hold of them right now. There's no substance to that. And by the way, Madison and Seth, I don't want a substance to that right now. But you hope for things, that God will do things. You're hoping for it, but it's, it's, hope is a, is a substance, but there's no real substance to hope. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Hope is completely and totally found itself in Christ. That's why the Bible says this, that these three things remain, love, hope, and faith. Why? God is love, so love can never not exist, but faith and hope need each other. Because just believing and speaking without a substance of hope is actually just taking a shot in the dark and hoping that you hit. You see, hope is like building plans for a building. That's how I see it. The plans are what you're hoping that that building will look like. Hoping that it will look this way. But faith gives it a substance and allows you to live in that building. You can hope that your building looks that way but faith actually causes it to be that way. You can hope that your life turns out this way, but it's your faith, it's your believing and speaking that puts substance to the hope. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he, that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith it's impossible to please God. That word please there is, it's not, it's not a tick on the box of I've been a good boy, so therefore God is happy with me. That's, that's not what that scripture is really meaning. It, it's really saying this is that it's impossible to please, without faith it's impossible to please God, but it's from the position of because I know that I'm loved by God, I want to do all the things that please Him. It's, it's, not, it's not driven by I have to do this and I have to do that because I've got to keep God happy. No, no, this is, this is a thing driven by because I know that I'm loved, because I know that he loves me so much and he's done so much for me, I want to do right by him. I want to do this because he loves me and I love him. It's not driven by rules and regulation. It's driven by relationship. My pleasing is driven by the fact that he loves me and I can't help but do things for him because he loves me. I can't help but do things for my kids or my wife, because I love them. This morning when I'm sitting there having my quiet time, when Trinity comes out into the lounge and she's feeling unwell, and she turns around and she says, could you make me a cup of tea? You know, I don't know about you, but when I'm having my quiet time, I don't like to be disturbed very much. It's not like I'm sitting there going, man, I hope Trinity walks in right now and asks me to make her a cup of tea. I can't wait to do that. 
For starters, tea, is, as you know, I, I believe is of the devil. So she's asking me to do the devil's drink. I'm just joking for all you teetotalers out there. But it wasn't difficult for me to do that. It wasn't even a thought. She said, can you make me a cup of tea? I'm not feeling too good. Poof, up, made the cup of tea. It, it's, not, it's not something I have to think about. I love her, so therefore I want to do that for her. Yesterday she had to go out with Seth to do some stuff for his photography assignment. So I ended up cleaning the whole house. Kitchen, mopped the floors, bathrooms, Madison vacuumed. I did everything else. It, it wasn't hard for me to do that because I love my family and I love my wife and I also love having a clean house. It, was, it wasn't difficult because I love her. It was easy for me to do that. I reminded her last night when we went to bed about how awesome I had been that day. <laughs> it says this in that scripture. It says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. And listen to this, for he who comes to God, that word come means the one who draws near to God in prayer and sacrifice and worship and devotion of our heart and our life must believe that he is. Believing what comes from your, your believing drives your, your believing drives your, believing drives your, oh, Jesus help me. Believing drives your speaking. Faith is believing and speaking. Your believing drive, your speaking must believe that he is. In other words, that your believing that he is starts to drive your speaking and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So our believing drives our speaking, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Rewarder in the Greek dictionary, and the reason why we use Greek sometimes is because the whole of the New Testament was written in Greek, and so it helps us to understand. But that word rewarder in the dictionary, Greek dictionary means rewarder. Thanks. But sometimes to understand what a word really means, you need to understand the opposite of it, yes? And the opposite in the Greek dictionary of the word rewarder is the word punisher. And some of us have to change our mindset and understand that, that God is not a punisher. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things unseen. And he who comes must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's not a punisher, he's a rewarder. When we diligently seek him, he's a rewarder, he's not a punisher. That doesn't mean that when I mess up, that, God, that God's all good with it. No, because God needs to bring correction when we mess up him. But that's not punishment, that's just a redirection of our lives. God loves you and he forgives you, but God in his heart as a, as a rewarder. But here's the crazy thing about understanding Greek is that sometimes in the Greek language, to understand what a word really means, there's another word that basically exactly means the same thing as that word. And it helps you to understand a lot bigger what the Greek word means. And the Greek word that basically lines up with meaning the same thing as rewarder is the word desert. I thought we've got a bit of an excitement about that. 
So when we think about God, we don't think about Him as punisher, but we think about Him as dessert. Lemon meringue pie, creme brulee, the best dessert that's ever been created on the face of the planet. No? Pina, pina cotta? Anybody with pina cotta? Chocolate cake? Chocolate brownie? It says here that it's dessert. He's a rewarder. He's a, he gives dessert. Do you understand what God's coming from? That faith is a substance that's hopeful, the evidence of things unseen. And he who comes to God and believes in him, that he, he, he's going to give you good stuff. That you can trust him, that you can step out. That you can understand that every step of faith that you're ever believing and speaking that you make is not going to lead to some sort of punishment, but it's going to lead to a dessert, a reward. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Mark 11, 20 to 24 is a story about the fig tree that when Jesus walked up to it, it looked like it had a whole lot of figs on it but it had no figs, it was just leafy. And Jesus turned around and he curses the fig tree because it looks like it's producing fruit, but it's not producing fruit. And then the wee while later, or like the next day, the disciples turn up and they see that the fig tree has withered and died and they're like, whoa, that's the tree that you spoke over the other day. And we can get so caught up into why God calls the, the fig tree to wither, but What he says to them in verse 22 is Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever speaks to this mountain be removed and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. That word have faith in God, if you go back to the original text, it doesn't actually say have faith in God. It says have faith of God. It says have the faith of God. Have a God kind of faith. The reason why the translators didn't write that is because they felt that that was almost sacrilegious to say that we have God's faith. But the literal translation is having a God kind of faith. And we know from the beginning of this message in Romans 12, 3, that to each and every one of us has been given a measure of faith. But that actually means this, that you're being given a measure of God's faith. And this is the cool thing about God, is He doesn't leave it out there for you to come up with faith. He gives you a measure of His faith. So when I'm stepping out on faith, it's, it's not my faith that I'm stepping out on. I'm stepping out on the God faith that He put in me. Are you, are you hearing this? It's not reliant on me to to drum up faith. It's not reliant on me to get all hyped in church. And <laughs> It's the measure of faith that he put in me is, is, is his faith. So when I start stepping out in my believing and my speaking, I'm stepping out on what he says and it's stepping out on his faith about what he says about me and what he says about the circumstance. I don't have to try and find faith. I've got his faith that I step out on. So this is how I respond to that verse when it says, have God's kind of faith. It's kind of like this for me. It's kind of like, 
How do I respond to that? Well, if he says I can have it, then I'm going to have it. If he says I can have God faith, then I'm going to have God faith. If he says that I'm going to have that God kind of faith, then I'm going to start to operate in the God kind of faith. I'm going to take everything that God wants to give me. I'm going to take all of it. I'm going to receive that for my life. If that's God's will for my life, that he wants to give me a measure of his faith that I can then operate in, then, I, man, I'm going, to, I'm going to grab hold of that faith with everything that I've got because that's his will for my life. And you might be sitting here going, man, Craig, I think that you're taking things a little bit too far. You might even be starting to shift into a bit of a theology uh, problem here. But can I suggest this to you? That it's not a theology problem, what I'm saying, but it's actually the truth because in 2 Peter 1 4, it says that we are partakers of the what? The divine nature of God. We are created in His image, in His likeness, He made us. We, we are not carbon copies, we are made in His image. And if we're made in His image and we are partakers of His divine nature, therefore we have part of His divine nature, part of who we are. doesn't make us divine. It just means that we can operate out of that and speak into our worlds and start to speak over our circumstances and our situations because it says in that Scripture, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, whoever says to the mountain, if you're saying it, you are believing it, yeah? Because our believing drives our speaking. If you're speaking to your mountain, it's because you're believing. You're starting to believe that God has put that faith on the inside of you with purpose. And so our believing drives our speaking. And the mountain, as I said earlier, is anything that stands between you and the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. And so he says, speak to the mountain. Whoever has that kind of a faith the God faith on the inside of them. If we start to operate in that, we speak to the mountain. It doesn't say pray about the mountain and ask for it to be removed. It doesn't say ring up all your friends and tell them how big the mountain is. It actually doesn't even say pray and God will remove the mountain. No, it says speak to the mountain. Step into that faith that God's put on the inside of you. The God faith. Start to believe that His divine nature is, is deposited on the inside of you. And then you too can speak to the mountains and command them to be removed. Command them to shift out of your world. And it goes on and it says, and does not believe, there is no, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes. Well, if you believe, then you've got to speak. That those things that he says, the things that we speak, will be done. He will have whatever he says. Why? Because you're speaking what you believe. It doesn't say that you'll have whatever you desire, it doesn't say you'll have whatever you want, it doesn't say you'll have whatever you need. It says you'll have whatever you believe and speak. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm trying to equip you with something because too often I've spent my life praying and asking for God to do things. Praying and asking for God to remove mountains. Praying and asking for God to shift this and shift that. And I feel like God has just been re-saying to me again this week. It's like, man, I've given you all authority on heaven and earth. I gave to you. Would you please start operating in the faith that I deposited and you start to speak. 
You start to declare. You start to believe that what I say about you is true. And you start to speak that over your life. You start to prophesy that into existence because I put that in you for this very circumstance. And I can spend so much of my time, God, will you do this? God, will you do that? And God's like, mate, I gave you the tools to deal with this. Why won't you step into it? Why won't you use what I deposited? Don't, you don't need new faith. You don't need new muscles. You just need to start to operate in what He's already put in you. And as you speak and you see things shift, your, your faith level will rise, your belief level will rise, and all of a sudden, you'll start speaking to all sorts of circumstances and situations, and they'll start to move. Why? Because that's God's will for your life. It's not your will. It's not His will that you would suffer in circumstance. Every child of God overcomes the world. Every child of God is an overcomer. How? By this victorious faith, the God faith that He put on the inside of you. It's not that we can't live by faith, it's that we won't live by faith. But when you understand, it's not actually about me. It's about what He put in me. And I can stand on that. And I can start to declare it. And I can start to believe what He says about me. And as I start to believe, I start to speak. And all of a sudden, mountains are being thrown into the sea all around my life, around my kids, around my finances, around my marriage, around my community, around my nation, around every part, around my workplace, around my school. Why? Because I understand that I've got a deposit of a God kind of faith on the inside of me and it's not lacking substance because my hope is in Him. And I know, I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that I can believe and speak and things start to shift. Why don't you close your eyes just for a moment?